Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your host, Kalorn. Armada isn't about shooting. Armada is about navigating. Fox Omega. I don't know if it has more to do with point denial with these Republic fleets, because some of their ships can really take a lot of a lot of beatings. And now, the Armada Podcast. And we're live, well, live tape anyway, on the Armada Podcast. Juliet Whiskey has a prior obligation tonight, but we invited someone from across the pond to cover our main topic today, which will be the UK World Qualifier. Fox, can you introduce our guest who uh, stayed up really, really late for us uh, over in the UK? Unbelievably late. Yeah, uh, we want to welcome Jammers to the podcast. Uh, he is uh, um, an active uh, member on the Discord. He's been uh, he played in the UK World Qualifiers, and so we wanted to invite him on here and get some thoughts on uh, both how he, he also plays. kicked my ass last week. So you know, <laughs> that's another reason why we wanted him on. Um, so uh, Jammers. Good morning to you. Uh, it's nighttime for us on Thursday, but very early for you. Um, well, a very good uh, evening to you all. <laughs> uh, my first question is, how long have you been playing Armada? Well, gosh, I've been playing Armada since back in 2014 when the game first rolled out. Um, funnily enough, actually, I went to the like the massing at Solist events that they were holding. I don't know if any of you heard of those. No, please tell me about that. Okay, they released Wave 2 early for people who went to this event. So you, if you came in the top four, you could either choose the ISD, the MC-80, uh, the MC-30, the Raider, or the uh, Rogues and Villains pack. Now, um, at my local store, because they held this at every at all these events on the same weekend, um, my local store held the event, but funnily enough, my friends and I were the only two people to turn up. So I walked away with the MC80, the MC30, and the Rebel version, Rebel half the um, Rogues and Villains pack, all for ten quid, which was really quite something, and definitely solid. Uh, uh, committed myself to the game. <laughs> That's a huge deal! Oh my gosh. Um. Okay, well, so you've been playing since pretty much the very, very beginning. In this time, what other, we, we know, we're going we're to get to the UK World Qualifiers here in a minute. What other major tournaments have you participated in since you started? Well, I've been to two other, um, I suppose, national events here in the UK, other than the one uh, this year. Um, so I've been to quite I've been to quite a few locally and some regionals. So I've done you know I've, uh, I've been around the scene for quite some time and done quite a few. Oh gosh, it's my alarm going off. Sorry, there we go. It's time to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to wake up and record the podcast with two assholes from from the United States. Yeah. Some two Texans who thought this was a good idea. Um, <laughs> what would you say? You've played a long, long time. As you've played, have you developed into a particular play style? Could you identify what are the types of fleets that you like to play or the, st the, the play styles that you kind of see yourself fitting into? You see, this is a question I've really thought about for quite a while, actually. I think at the very start of the game, I played an awful lot of MSU. Like, double MC30 was 
the uh, go-to for me. I really quite liked it, and I was quite often playing Rebel. As time went on, I actually started really enjoying playing Empire, and um, I sort of transitioned into using larger ships more aggressively. So instead of like sort of setting traps with MSU, I would charge head-on in with more aggressive uh, forward-like facing fleets. And I think that's sort of where I'm at today. Still with ISDs in the Empire, or are you finding yourself branching out into the newer factions? I think I'm still very much playing in the Empire. Like, I'm finding my feet with the Republic and the CIS. Nice. Yeah, and you're. I think that's super interesting, because looking at your the fleet that you took to uh, the UK World Qualifiers, which we'll talk about here in a minute... Um, it's full of in-your-face action, and <laughs> uh, I'm going to enjoy talking about it with you because you got a uh, wide area barrage in there, which I think is such an awesome <laughs> upgrade to include in there. If you could give advice to you playing the game eight years ago now, what would you tell them? Gosh, I would say... Um... I suppose at the moment you think your plan's falling apart, just grit your teeth and carry on. Because at the moment at which your opponent has sort of convinced you that their attack run is working, that's the moment you need to really knuckle down and carry on. You're going to often just like... Sometimes you might... I see a lot of people peel off and just lose their nerve. Or not lose their nerve, but you know what I mean. Sort of just become a bit daunted by the prospect of taking on whatever head-on. But really, just uh, stick the the course, roll the dice, and um, ultimately you might win, or you'll have an extremely fun time just uh, face-planting whatever your opponent has thrown at you. (laughs) Or you'll watch your opponent roll all blanks. Like someone did last night. <laughs> uh, that was me. I rolled all blanks. Um, that's I. I love that advice, um, particularly when you're flying ships like ISDs or Kellorn flies his Starhawk. Um, those bigger ships, win or lose, you're gonna have a blast. Sometimes, literally, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that's awesome advice. Sometimes it's part of the strategy is just shove it in there and see what comes out. Um, what would Last question. What would you say drives you at this point to play the game? You've been doing it now for eight years. What keeps you coming back to this game? Well, this is going to sound awfully cheesy, but it is the community. Um, I've played a number of other competitive games, and the Armada community has been easily one of the most easygoing I've actually ever encountered. And it's genuinely one of the most uh you know, alluring things to come back to the game. Everyone it's always a pleasure to see everyone and also all of the events that everyone creates, uh, even through the most difficult times we've all had recently, has been a genuinely inspiring thing. It's it's a really wonderful um set of people we've got here. I don't think that's cheesy at all. I think that nails it on the head for why I continue coming back. This is a game that somehow the community has arrived at this blend of um, competitive and sportsmanship and camaraderie and just co-enjoying the game together. And I think it's uh, it's inspiring and it's a lot of fun to participate in. Absolutely. 
So I, I did have a question for for you, uh, Jamers, in regards to you know you talked about what your advice you would give to one of yourself basically when you were starting the game. Well, we've noticed at certain points with people who have been maybe more recently coming to the game is them coming to terms with just the difficulty in like overcoming the the learning curve of Armada and getting into the game where you actually start winning. Uh, how would you, or what advice do you give to newer players in getting into Armada and how to get over that kind of, I'm going to get beat for my first 10 games type of hump? Hmm. Actually, this is a question I've really thought about for quite some time because I think, gosh, the way to tell this to someone, I think you just have to say, ultimately, you're going to have fun causing your opponents to uh, to wonder why on earth you just did that. And you'll walk away doing that. Uh, well, ask that question to yourself. But at the end of the game, you'll have a wonderful conversation with your opponent. You'll learn new things and you'll come back to your next game an even better player than the one that you left. That's good advice because we've been having some people who have been struggling a little bit lately. Um, and, it's, and it's not necessarily the people who are brand new to the game, but have been playing for you know one or two years and they're having a hard time like getting to the next level. Hmm. I think that's true of like all of us. I mean, like I went to my first ever tournament as in like a, just a store thing. And I came third. I then went to my like a regional and came second last. And, um, I think it wasn't until about gosh, 2016 or 17, like a good two or three years into the game that I began to be that to become a much more, uh, to become more of a force to be reckoned with than someone who just sort of uh, did okay here and there. I think you'll 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 feel your way through, and also the type of playstyle that you're more accustomed to as you play more types of fleets. So I suppose that's something else I would say is try different things. If you think big ships are good, but you tend to be losing, maybe switch up to MSU and see how you feel with that. That's great advice. I love that. Um, speaking of you. Uh, placing in tournaments. Let's talk about the most recent tournament you went to, uh, the UKGE World Qualifier. Um, there's not a lot of data out about the tournament. I was able to accrue everything I could. Uh, Gink had posted the top eight on uh, the Discord, and so I grabbed those. Um, and so we'll go over there's, over those in a little bit. I want to I want to ask some preliminary questions because there's not a lot we know. Uh, we do know that there were 38 participants. Do you know um, like that attendance? What kind of faction spread did you see? Because we've got the top eight, and I know it's a lot of imperial. Uh, I'm curious mm. about whether that kind of extended out, or you could extrapolate that out to the whole field. Was it a lot of imperial, or was was there a good mix? Well, gosh, there was a lot of Imperial. Um, my friends and I took a quick tour of the hall and were like, okay, how many Onigas can you see? And uh, we were about, okay, yes, there are roughly, uh, I think there were, we counted something like 19 Onigas. Oh my um, God. That's how, you, that's how you trigger the Armada <laughs> tabletop server, by the way, is that there was 19 Onigas there. Well, if it's uh, any reassurance, I think only, uh, only three made it into the uh, top eight. 
th- yeah, three three lists with onagers. I think I think uh, uh, there was uh, a double onager in there, right? Yes. So there's <laughs> the only two lists with onagers made it into the top eight. Um, it was a uh, and like it, it by it was by no means a surety that it that having an onager meant that you would do well. If anything, um, if, I think if anything, at this point in the game, people have sort of gotten used to their presence and understand how to fight them. I absolutely agree, and I think that that um, plays itself out in the top eight because the one they they pretty much ate each other uh, mm-hmm. at the bottom was my understanding. Um, like they they two of them got matched up in round two or round three and basically took each other out of the running. Um, and because that's all you can do if you're if you're go up if you're an onager up against another onager, basically it's a it's a dice race <laughs> to some degree. Um, that's interesting. So, and I, as, as, as players who play in the United States, it's something I've noticed since I started playing is that empire is very, very popular, um, in the UK and in Europe. Is that, uh, is that a trend that, that holds up? Do you think that there's a lot more empire, uh, play that happens over there? Gosh. Um, (laughs) I was talking to one of the other players, I think uh, Reese, who came third or fourth at UKGE, and um, he's been a fairly consistent Republic player. And he said that you play Republic or anything else until you get mad enough and switch to the Empire. Um, so I think, yes, it it is popular, but it is because they seem to be quite, they seem to have, as a faction, they cater towards all tastes better than I think other factions do. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, and I'm, I'm curious about your take here, Jamers, but I've been coming to the conclusion that rebel, squ- rebel squads and rebel lists are the top of the pile right now, above mm-hmm. the Empire. And I guess, where are you at with, do you think the Empire is the top of the faction pile, or do you think that it's somebody something else? Well, in saying that they cater to all is also saying that they might do everything like they're a jack of all trades. They they do everything to a certain extent, but some factions will do things to an even greater extent. They'll lean into it even more. I do think that Rebels, MSU and Squads is extremely strong right now and they do it very well. I find that's one of the hardest lists to fight. And that's, um, funnily enough, my downfall at UKGE was my first list in the top eight was against uh, the winner's MSU. And I'm just, I I do find it more difficult than any other archetype to fight. And mainly from the rebels. I, man, that's a, that's a, (laughs) that's a well thought out opinion. And I, I absolutely agree with it. I think Empire, I feel like Empire gets a bad rap because they don't have kind of the, they don't have one particular thing that they do very, 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 very well. But they, you can't generally find uh, any kind of play style within that faction that you want to do. And they're going to be generally good at it. Um, I also think Empire have the coolest looking ships. And that plays a big factor in people wanting to play them. That is a fair. That is a fair comment. They do have some exceptionally wonderful ships. The Gladiator is such a lovely little thing, and the Angry Mustache or the or the Onager. 
um, is a wonderful design. <laughs> I've never heard it called that before. I'm so stealing that. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, before we get into the into your fleet and, and the top four jammers, uh, one of the things that's kind of our uh, Fox and I's pet topic is the CIS. And the CIS were the one faction that was not in the top eight. Were they underrepresented in the field as a whole? Did you see very many CIS fleets? Uh, can you give us a kind of an estimate of how many out of the 38 were CIS? Hmm. I probably couldn't tell you how many were CIS, but I can tell you that I suppose comparatively there were substantially fewer. Like Republic and CIS were definitely not as well represented. However, CIS players did do well. Like um I think round three, I was on table three and my opponent was a CIS player. So just because they weren't represented didn't mean you couldn't do well with them. Hey, that's something. That's something. Table three, round three. I'll take that. That's fine. Uh, it, yeah, I, I'm not going to say I'm saddened that they didn't appear in the top eight, uh, but it. I really would like... We're seeing these Republic fleets start to show up, and I don't know if it has more to do with point denial with these Republic fleets, because some of their ships can really take a lot of a lot of beatings and still stay on the board. I'm not sure what it is. I'm hoping that um, soon we can start to see more of those arrive into those, these day two type events, but Hey, I want jammers. I want to jump into your fleet. You did make day two. Um, There were a couple players that dropped out, I believe Mm -hmm. in the top eight. And so that, that allowed you entry into day two and uh, your fleet in particular, I want to talk about. I'm going to run through it real quick, and then I want to I want to pick your brain about how you arrived at the list building for this fleet because I find it very very entertaining to look at, and it's a fleet that I would love to fly. Like it's got a lot of the pieces that I find that are really really fun to fly. Um, so you are, uh, it's 390 points. That's a 10 point bid. We're going to talk about bids later um, because the bids here are, are wild to me. Um, you have uh, a Gladiator 1 with Montferrat. You got Ordnance Experts, Engine Techs, all the usual stuff, Demolisher. But then you throw a Wide Area Barrage on there. And then you have an ISD Kuat with Thrawn, which is great. Nita, great insurance for Onagers. Vernilion, which I find to be really entertaining. I'm assuming that's for an accuracy um, right when you need it. Uh, ECMs, Point Defense Ion Cannons, Wide Area Barrage again and Chimera, and then two Gazantes, one with Titus and Munitions Resupply and Suppressor, one with Vader Officer and Comsnet. And then you got four squads, really flexible squads, Jindam, Merrick, Sienna, and Muller. Walk me through your game plan here. What is your strategy going in with this fleet? Because it's a lot of black dice. It's a lot... Um, it, it seems like it requires a lot of coordination. I want to hear how you arrived at at this archetype. All right. So basically, what I what I enjoy doing to go into tournaments is to take something where I can explore the game space. Therefore, I feel like I can actually sort of like try and pull something over, like the wall over my opponent's eyes, by using cards or a combination of things that they wouldn't be expecting. So with wide area barrage, that doesn't see much play, and I can understand why it's 
it's it can it, it like its utility spikes dramatically depending on what's going on and how closely they fly their fleets together um <clears throat> so with why Derek Barrage on Demolisher? I found out that has the greatest utility because it rolls four black dice. With Thrawn, you can have a nav plotted on the ship and confire with Thrawn or whatever variation you so choose. And then you're rolling five black dice. And then that turns into three splash damage onto whatever you so choose. And that can kill a scatter ace in one go without you having to even bother engaging it with your forces. And I find that that's little bit of damage and perhaps even just onto another ship or onto squadrons can really tip the balance i think i leaned into it too heavily with my kuat i should have had an isd too but um uh on the whole it was actually quite useful against some other like heavy ship lists because i would go in just straight in speed three charge in um hit as hard as I could. Now, with Varnillion, the actual plan for her is, because I would be going first, ideally, was um, out of my side arc, roll the two black dice and red and blue, hopefully get a hit crit on the black dice, swap out the blank red on Varnillion, and then on the major run, uh, Confire and that to go up to five black dice and really hammer away on the damage. Oh man, I like that interaction. That's huge. I've typically seen her used uh, with accuracy generation or, you know, just raw damage, but uh, using her to proc more, to get more of those hits in there and maybe even guarantee the crit if you can't get it the first time. Um, that's huge. I want to I wanna take a step back though. I, I want to roll back a little bit. You mentioned... Uh, in retrospect, that probably an ISD two would have been better. Walk me through that. Why do you why do you feel that way? I needed more long range clout. Um, when coming up against MSU lists, I really regretted not having more ways to shoot from greater distance because with the Kuat, I still had to charge head on in, and that put it at far greater risk as it like left the field on the way out. It's much better to be able to sort of slowly move in and have them take some more risks coming towards you and also have Demolisher fly around the edges, picking them off as they try and move in different directions. One of the things that I, I noticed when you and I played uh, Jammers and, and I brought my uh, my Radis fleet, it is a real nasty piece of work for basically any Radis fleet because Radis fleets have to be at that range. They have to be at that close kind of range where you don't have any choice but to eat the wide area barrage damage. It is quite a useful list when it comes to playing certain lists. And uh, as I say, like utility with wide area barrage spikes in certain situations against Radus, which is a list that I used to find quite difficult fighting. Um, the utility spikes massively because everything's so tightly packed together at the point at which um, the Radus player wants to be able to start trying to go in for the kill. That's, their very strategy works against them with that particular card. Yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen someone use that card, and I was like, "Wow, this is this card is like tailor made to just destroy Radis." So, uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. I I did want to talk for a minute 
before we go on to the top four here, uh, we had gotten the the bids and the squad points for the top eight in it. And uh, we just got done last week talking about Texas Open, which is the one that I won a couple of weeks ago here in Houston. Um, and in the in Texas Open, in the top eight, we had the lowest squad points was 71, and we had an average of 109.5 points of squads in the top eight. Uh, in the top eight for the UK World Qualifier, the there was somebody that went completely squadless, and the average squads was ninety. I guess in the the tournament that you that you played in here at the UK World Qualifiers, and in the kind of the the European meta in general, if I can be so bold, what is the the role of squadrons in your fleets, and are do you have you seen squadrons numbers key? creeping up recently have you have they been pulling back Uh, we have we've certainly here in the texas meta have seen squads really creeping up towards that maximum in on most of the the top end fleets well i think there's a number of factors affecting the number of squads used the biggest factor i think has been the release of rapid reinforcements which have added a number of very interesting squadrons into the game uh Going into UK uh, um, World Qualifier, I did think that I needed to have substantially better squads than I had used in the past. Typically, I use squads as deployment fodder, so I'll have cheap generics, maybe one unique. In the new meta, I'll have at least, I'll max out, I'll go four uniques. Um, because I think there's a there's a very real chance you're going to come up against some dedicated squadron lists that wants to do damage and you're going to have to slow them down with some much uh, stronger counter squads another another factor i suppose well, well being very humble is the fact that at uh, there was a big event held a few like a month or so before the uk world qualifiers which i won um held in the north of england and I took a list to that that even German players were coming up and saying, "Ah, oh, yes, you're the Alderon guy." In fact, another chap literally copied my list, um, and I was very, very humbled that he did. Um, I was also very humbled to beat my own list that I um, had created for that event. So it was it was quite something to see that like I'd had such an impact, and, and that was also something that impacted the bids because I took a twelve point bid. So people were starting to go, "Oof, we need to have." stronger ones to be able to defeat that. And people were quite surprised I didn't take the list that I took to uh, the Alderaan event. But as I explained there, I was like, no, I once I've played a list and I've done the best I can with it, I move on to something else to explore a different element of the game space. That, that's really where I've kind of been coming up against here in the last few weeks since um, since playing in TXO and, and using that that to win a tournament. It's like, okay, you've kind of proven what it needs, what it, it, it can do playing it anymore. just feels that it doesn't, you're not proving anything one way or the other. So I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. It's definitely an interesting space in the game. Sorry. You were saying, no, you're good. I was just going to get us uh, diving into the top four. If I, if we're all ready for it, um, let me, let me pull it up here real quick. Um. All right. So in fourth place, we had Sebastian. He brought uh, Sloniger. 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 
my goodness. Uh, 400 points. I don't think we had to read through it. It's it's just a totally generic Sloniger. It's very <laughs> generic Sloniger, although it does include the new Darth Vader TIE Defender, so I guess that's noteworthy. Um, and it squeezes a fire spray in there, so you got you got some rogues. And uh, Taskmaster Grint on the Quasar for some raid protection. Um, how are we feeling about Sloniger right now? I guess is really what we need to talk about. Um, because this is a very standard build and it does well consistently, but I think we're starting to see uh, jammers. I think you mentioned it earlier. I, I, we're, we're starting to see people are understanding how to address this, not only onagers in general, but this fleet in general. Um, how do we feel about this? I, I honestly think this is a really solid, like Sloniger is never going to be a fleet. That's going to be bad. I mean, Sloniger is a good fleet archetype. There's no getting around that. The thing about Sloniger is that it's one of those fleets that people are now saying, okay, I'm going to a tournament. I need to have an answer for the SSD. I need to have an answer for Akbar. I need to have an answer for uh, for Sloniger. I need to have an and you know be, you know I need to have an answer for uh, for Starhawk. These are the things that people are building with their fleets, thinking about. And I think it's really going to affect just how well Sloniger does. I think we're going to see we're going to continue to see Sloniger, you know, you know, make it to day two, making cuts, doing well. But I don't know that in, unless you know get a Sloniger player that gets really lucky with their matchups, I really don't see a Sloniger winning a major tournament again. Well, you see, it's actually quite interesting because I faced this in game two of day two. Now. Typically, I'm actually all right at beating Sloniger, but this, but the um, Sebastian is an exceptional player. Um, I think to talk more broadly, though, about Sloniger, the big thing to consider is Squall on the Quasar, because a lot of people underestimate the fact that you could push up three fighters and hammer away at someone's defense tokens in turn one. Typically, I whenever I see Squall, I deploy very cautiously to be able to counter that or find some way of putting some sacrificial fighters. So if I want to be more aggressive, I can I can deal with Squall's turn one push. Um, I think that's one of the keys to be able to sort of deal with Sloniger. Um, but also realizing where the Onager is going to be. You're, you have to look at your opponent. Your opponent has to place that test bed very well otherwise it's going to be vulnerable now nah, it's a fantastic point um there it it seems like that's a trend with a lot of these high performing onager fleets is uh either removing defense tokens early or as we'll see in a fleet that's coming up um making sure that early you cannot use your defense tokens by forcing you to deploy at speed zero um, a lot of the inspiration behind these high-performing onager fleets is exactly that. You have to eliminate targets early. And if you can't, the situation actually gets pretty hairy. Um, onagers don't stand up to continued pressure. And like you said, if you can deploy more cautiously, if you can set yourself up in a situation where that onager deploys in maybe a not-so-great situation or at a great angle, uh, either through obstacles or whatever it is, there's a good chance that if you can weather that initial squall push or if you can find a way with token management to get out of speed zero, 
um, the battle is very, very different. Uh, I, I agree that Sloniger will continue to perform well. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's not going to take any more tournaments, but I, I will say that what, what Keller and what you said is absolutely correct. This is a fleet archetype that you just have to start planning for. You have to think about it. Um, it's, it's a meta definer. Maybe it's not the meta itself, but it, it's a meta definer. Like you, when you build a fleet, you got to think about it um, one way or the other, either through your tactics and your strategy as you approach the game, or literally in the fleet building step where you think, okay, I gotta, I gotta have some kind of answer for this. So moving on for a second, I actually think that the next fleet, Charmos fleet, Fox is the most interesting of the top four. Uh, and if you want to talk about it here, I really want to hear Jammer's opinion on why this fleet in particular was able to do well. It goes counter to a lot of um, the, the community opinion about how to build certain fleets. Yeah, let's go over it. So this fleet is at 390 points. So that's a 10-point bid. It's got uh, five activations, and it's squadless, uh, which I think is the number one thing that should be a standout out of the out of the 16 fleets the top eight in texas open and the top eight in the uk world qualifiers this is the only fleet that went squadless and it clearly did well um it's an isd2 with moff jergerod nita ecm uh, point defense ion cannons and went with xi7s for its turbo laser slot again with chimera chimera is just a great option in general two architons that are both identical with expert shield techs and TRCs, a raider with Iden, uh, ordnance experts, flechettes, and instigator, and then a Gazanti with Vader officer and Comsnet. This is uh, particularly the Architons uh, are extremely interesting. Yeah, I want to hear about how this did so well because it goes; those Architons are built counter to what a lot of people describe they should be with those TRCs. Okay, so two of my friends had the misfortune of fighting this list, and I have to say that um, Charmo is the fantastic player. My first uh, friend on day one went up against it, and uh, he had a huge squad ball um, and genuinely thought he was a shoo-in, um, an MSU. Uh, I think he left that round getting 10 one Um the raider is ex- um is used was used to exceptional was used exceptionally well uh, this occurred in also in day 2 with reese's list um Charmo was able to get it in there i think it was like at speed 3 with a nav token and then slow down to 1 so it constantly with flechettes and instigator just pinned down heavy squad lists and with iden uh, Versio, it stuck around for a lot longer than anyone wanted it to. Um, and that gave time, that bought the time for the Aquitans and the ISD to go and absolutely rain um, all sorts of, you know, horrible things upon the ships, clearing the way. And um, I think on the second day, there was literally one victory token difference that cost Reese the victory. It's with the 10 point bid, is it wanting to go first or second? I would assume it wants to go first to be able to get 
the uh, radar off, so it turns off all the squads before the uh, before the opponent gets to activate. I can't say for sure because I didn't play against it myself, but I did hear directly that it was extremely frustrating to deal with. So I assume that's uh, how it would go. Yeah, I could see it go either way. Like that, the 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 raider uh, with flechettes. I mean, it's not something that a lot of squad players think about anymore. Uh, I think they should. Um, flechettes, I think, could could do very very well in the meta uh, right now, at least in Texas. But it's with five activations and a pretty hefty ISD two. Uh, I could see someone wanting to go second and uh, denying some pass tokens and having some really good long-range firepower that you have to move into. I could see it go either way. Uh, it's it's a very, very interesting fleet. Paul, what did you think about this, man? I I think that it's really tailored towards, um, towards killing squad balls that need to be commanded. So you and I were talking the other day, Fox, about the, the, the one of the big disadvantages of both GAR and the CIS is that when you are using squad-based fleets in both of those factions, you have no choice but to command them or they don't really do a whole heck of a lot. In CIS, it's even worse because you lose dice if you don't command them. Uh, whereas I think that this fleet and this fleet is also good against something like Sloan, where Sloan generally wants to be commanding the the squads most of the time uh, because you're trying to get them in and, and do things to ships. Where I think that this would the only the kind of the vulnerability here, if the, if you want to use that term, is against a rogue type of uh, of fleet. If somebody that's really uh, banking on rogues, because there's no squads in this fleet to keep you honest with rogues, you could spread your rogues across the entire board and say, okay, yeah, you can lock down two of my rogues, but the rest of them are going to do what they want. So I think that's the answer here, but it's an answer that isn't an answer you, you can, you can come up with on the, when you see it across the table from you, it's an answer you already had to have done while you were making your fleet before you came to the tournament. So other than that, I, I do agree that in most cases, this is probably going to want to go first and try and purely because of that uh, that raider and getting that raider into a position that would stops you know, the enemy squads from doing things. Uh, but I think he's also got a big enough bid that if he looks across the, the table and sees something like my Starhawk fleet that's got a bunch of rogues, he's going to say, oh, I don't want to deal, deal with that guy's um, stuff. I'm going to go second. So I think that that his bid is deep for both of those reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's flexible. I think, um, you know, if there's no squads across from you, go second. You've got two Architons and an IST2 that can just put red dice downfield and you got to move into it. He's got five activations. What are you going to do? You got to move into it. And uh, and he's going to be able to keep those Architons safe. So it's... Man, this is just an interesting fleet. I'm I'm glad it did well, and it, that it did well in obviously a field that was that had a lot of squads. Um, really, really awesome fleet. Um, yeah, we want to move on to the to James McCarty. I do. Yeah, let's move on. Second place, three hundred and eighty-five bid. Was this the at- biggest big jammers? It was certainly one of the biggest. Now, 
James is um, a, definitely a very good uh, friend of mine in the Armada community, in fact. Uh, he specifically tailored his bid against uh, the list I took to Alderaan, so that's one of the reasons why it's 15. It, Keller, and this is a similar effect that you're having on our local meta. You bring a fleet that's three 392, and now every, it's a race to the bottom. It sounds like Jammers did something similar to his local community. It's all our fault, Jammers. It's all our fault, man. <laughs> oh, <Tackle> no. Maniacally. <laughs> well, it, this is um, this is a twist on a, a, a fleet style that uh, Sam made very, very popular on the West Coast. Uh, this is the Onager. This is a Ramadi Onager with Titus and Vernilian and Vet Gunners and Orbital Bombardment Cannons. It doesn't have a Cataclysm, which is interesting. Normally, you would see Cataclysm on a makeup like this. You've got two Gazantes, one of which has parts resupply and Darth Vader. The other one is a Naked Boy. And then you have an Interdictor with Nita, Auxiliary Shield Teams, Decaps, Grav Wells, Grav Shift Reroute, and PDICs. And then you got uh, six squads, Sienna, Valen, Jinden, Merrick, Gamma, and Tempest. I like the inclusion of those two. I like Tempest Squadron a lot. I don't think enough people take it. Um, this fleet uh, is is going second. I don't see any reason why it wants to go first, honestly. So the interesting thing here for me is that it doesn't have Cataclysm and it doesn't have Hondo, but it does include Surprise Attack, which really surprises me because, uh, pun un- unintended there, but the whole point in my in my opinion of surprise attack in a fleet like this with a with a, an onager that has the the uh, the gravel protectors is that you're trying to make them deploy at speed zero on the station and then hit them with the onager on turn one because if you don't do that they're gonna like they're just gonna go up to speed one so i i guess my thought here was like okay yes i get what you're trying to do here but why did you skip cataclysm is this a fleet that you played, Jammers, or had, did any of your friends play this fleet? Um, none of my friends played this list, and I didn't get a chance to face James at the tournament. Um, I, I think it's mainly the fact that Surprise Attack is just so difficult to fight against. And given the fact it will typically, unless you have Corvus, um, it will typically give up your flagship's position, and especially since he has Admiral Titus, it's going to be going at a speed that your opponent wants, that people will generally not pick it. I think there's an argument to take it, and I think you make a perfectly coherent one saying, yeah, actually, it's not so bad without Cataclysm. But, well, well um, if you look at the other options, abandoning mining facility is just a non-starter. You can't, if, if somebody's got that, you just can't take it. We can talk, we've talked about that. Uh, Fox and I have talked about that to the end. But Here's a, here's a tip from Uncle Kellorg, guys. If you see somebody that has abandoned mining facility in their deck, don't take it. You'll be much happier. Uh, Doom Station, also they're farming a bunch of points. I, I've had a lot of success in, in choosing Surprise Attack because people look at it and think it's awful, but it's really not as bad as you might think to take. No, I'm with you on that one. Sorry, uh, Fox, you go ahead. He, it's... I, I guess there's there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, th- to properly counter it with surprise attack, you need to be you need to have Hondo. You need to be flying Ozil. You need there's a lot of elements that I probably was betting on people not having readily available. 
I don't see a lot of Hondo <laughs> in these fleets. And so that's a bet that probably paid off. In fact, I only see it. I'm seeing it in two fleets. I might be wrong. But no, I mean, my point, my, my, my point is here, even, okay, let's say for a moment that I took surprise attack and I put my, I'm, I say, okay, I've got my, my I, I'm going to use my Starhawk list as an example. I don't have Hondo in it. I have no protection against this. I, uh, you put, you, you put down the station wherever he puts it. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to put my, my Starhawk facing away from your fleet. And if you want to slow me up or speed me down, I don't really care. You're not the only thing that you might be able to shoot me. You're like, I don't, you're not going to be able to shoot me with any of these things on turn one because your onager doesn't have cataclysm like that. Like that's what I just don't understand here. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he might know something we don't, I mean, he got second place. Uh, I obviously there's some kind of uh, the, the speed finagling that looks like is happening here. It's hard to completely visualize because is he Titus? Is he going to Titus the flagship or is he going to Titus your nearest ship to it? So it can't catch up. Uh, it's hard to say uh, he's got, and, and the, the test bed is it's got, well, I mean, it's going to be at speed zero. Cause he's got Gravwell. No, no, I know. So like it, exactly. So what's he doing? Is he, is he forcing, is he forcing your flagship to go speed one and separate from the fleet while everything else goes slow you know what i mean like that's an interesting concept that really yeah, i guess doesn't I, that's why i'm just I, that's why i just that's the one aspect of this fleet jammers that i i don't get the rest of it looks fantastic if you take amf or or doom station you deserve the ass kicking that you were uh, that you received from this guy <laughs> <laughs> I, from what i gather he played an awful lot of doom station all day every day um but like, uh, yes, no, I do think that there's definitely an interesting case that perhaps everyone would have been a lot better off picking surprise attack given the way things go. But I suppose, yes, there wasn't enough token generation writ large and enough ways to deal with everything that he's got going on there. Let's let's talk about the number one fleet uh, from Daniel. Uh, 400 point, no no bid at all. You give him first or second, he's going to be happy. And he's flying. This is the second Riken MSU fleet that we've covered here on the podcast. And we've only had two episodes, so that should tell you a lot. Um, four CR90As, with, all with TRC. Um, no Jaina's Light. That's interesting. Uh, he's got Riken on one of them. He's got Ezra on another. He's got a, a GR75 with Torn, And then he's got a lot of Rogues. Uh, Hera, Lando, Ketsu, uh, a YT-24, Rogue Squadron, and he's got Golden Wedge. Uh, this is an archetype that is doing work right now. I want to dig into why we think this works really well. Jammers, what's your opinion on this Riken MSU, this rise again of Riken MSU? Where do you think this is and coming? And you actually played this one, right, Jammers? I did, I did. Gosh, okay, so I suppose let's talk about how this game went to start with. Um, I picked second and Daniel chose uh, Solar Corona. Um, he set up roughly centrally and I uh, set myself up into a corner and faced my entire list towards the right hand side of the, the uh, board. And of course, Solar Corona up there. Um, he came 
charging in very far, like really far around. And um, at that point, I decided to spring my trap, which was using Chimera to bring in, uh, take evasive action, and turn head on in as quickly as possible. Um, Daniel, you know, gritted his teeth and continued on the very wide around path. I managed to, and like we had a very interesting squadron battle in between, and this is where things became pivotal. I was able to kill his um, flotilla with an extremely lucky demolisher shot with an accuracy and enough to destroy it in one go. And I gunned down, I think, Wedge and a couple of others. But the fact that Wedge was able to stay alive with Recon was extremely useful for him because that was able to break free one of the fighters, which meant that he could come and absolutely bomb my ISD. And had I actually played a lot more conservatively with my Kuat, I think it would have been a slightly different game. I think the Kuat would have eventually gone down, but I would have had enough time to kill a few other things and not been quite so overwhelmed by the rest of it. So I think it's I think MSU Recon is definitely back because it is exceptionally difficult to plan and difficult to to capitalize on the limited gains that you'll make because it's really difficult to pin down any of those things and when you do kill one of them it's still going to have a go and that's very very difficult to counterplay against. So one of the things I've always thought about Recon is that the key to defeating Recon is being able to kill multiple things in a single round. Is that something that you were going for when you faced this list? Or was that just not even possible based on the way that he flew? I was trying to get as much stuff off the board as humanly possible. But uh, yes, because he did grit his teeth and take the long route around that played in. And also the fact that I had very limited, uh, I was limited in the, level of like long-range firepower that I had because I hadn't taken an ISD2, which could have applied a lot more pressure. The, the interesting thing, the reason why I think Riken is doing really well right now is a lot of the long-range artillery pieces we have in the game, from a defensive standpoint, rely on taking something off the board. Patriot Fist is too flimsy to not take something off the board almost every time it shoots and it only gets one shot and same with the onager the the ignition shots it needs to take something off the board and when the pieces that uh, you're shooting at have two evades and will not be removed from the board after you shoot them uh, the game plan gets very very hard and uh, for that player that has the artillery pieces. I find it very, very entertaining that at a moment when a lot of people are complaining about, Ugh, my pieces keep getting deleted by these long range pieces. Um, well, we have a commander that can exclusively prevent that from happening. Very, very entertaining that this is doing so well. I'm excited to see how this transforms. So I, I did want to transition us to a quick uh, topic here because we're, we're running a little short on time. Uh, but bids have become a really hot topic over the last month or so, as we've seen the the Armada community largely getting divided into two camps. You know, those who with essentially no bid, which is where the, the champion here, Daniel, was able to go with, or those with a significant bid, which, you know, Jammers, you and I had our fleets that had bids, uh, and then you saw the 385-point uh, uh, 
fleet here. So Jammers, what do you feel like is pushing the bid in the meta? Is it pushing to go first? Is it pushing to go second? Why are people starting to bid again? I think for a long time I've been saying that it's very much a second player game. So people are bidding to play the objectives that they've tailored their list for. So it's very much gone from the old days of bidding to, you know, have the first alpha strike to completely take something off the board. It's definitely a case of, no, I really want to mine as much stuff from my abandoned mining facility. I really want somebody to have a horrible time dealing with battle whales that have, you know, the, uh, um, not the exogorths, the pergils with mines on them. There's so many different variations and so many interesting things you can do with objectives that I think people want to be able to do that. And I think there's also an interesting counterplay where people go, everyone wants to play with their objectives and they're bidding for it. I'll just have 400 points and tackle it my own way. I, I think another aspect to that is we're not seeing in, in really high-level play uh, a lot of tens happening anymore. And so going second allows you to squeeze as much objective point opportunities as possible. You can guarantee, If you're flying your own objective, you can guarantee those extra 40 or 50 points more than your opponent. And that could be the difference between a tournament point uh, or even a win. I think that's where we're at right now. And a lot of these players know it. And so either you're creating a fleet that doesn't care about those extra points because those pieces stay on the board, or you really, really need to squeeze as much as you can out of that juice or out of, out of the, you know, the fruit, whatever you're squeezing. Jammers, as someone who took Black Dice Crit Effects to a, the major tournament... How do you feel about the de-emphasis of players wanting to go first because the black the black crits are harder to get off in the meta? Uh, hmm. I suppose that's definitely why I also included a gunnery chief Arnillion so I could get as many in there as possible to counter um, PDX. Um, <clears throat> hmm. I think there's definitely, like, taking all of those... It was definitely a mistake to have leaned into it quite so heavily. I think having one ship that does close-range stuff is enough. You're going to have to try and fight at medium and long range more often these days. And, and I think that the, the change to evades makes a difference, too, because, you know, these ships where you're trying to delete them and they ha- they can evade and reroll a dice at close range or discard a token and reroll two dice at close range. I mean, now all of a sudden you're trying to get to three hit crits to guarantee um, a <laughs> to guarantee that you're going to get a, a, a crit effect off. It's really brutal. Uh, and I and I think that that's one of the reasons. The, that and the path of the way pass tokens work now has really de-emphasized uh, your fleets that really uh, want to go first uh, as a rule. So this week we got a lucky drop from uh, Atomic Mass Games with a revamp to Hera and her X-Wing. The new text reads for her ability, while a friendly squadron that has escort is at distance one to two, it has adept one. While this negates the ability of a Dar Talon to activate Hera's ability twice to give the squadrons Adept 2, it drastically simplifies keeping track of who has Adept uh, and who doesn't, or who has Adept 2 and who has Adept 1. As an added bonus, her ability was boosted from Distance 1 to 2 from just Distance 1. Now, Fox, last night you and I played a game where I brought the new Hera, 
what were your impressions of her on the other side of the table? Oh, gosh. Well, it didn't help that I was bringing separatist squads, I'll tell you that much. Um, so I think anyone who's saying this isn't a buff is lying to themselves because it seems like in a pursuit of clarity, they actually uh, created quite the boon to Hera. I mean, you no longer have to really... There was never a moment in our game where we we were th- there was any question that Hera was in range. Like distance two is such a long way when when your squads are bumping heads. If if you're if you're used to the the X wing strategy with bigs of keeping all these X wings together, there's no way one of them is going to get out of Hera range. Uh, it's it's so good. The amount of times that you were rolling above average on the your squadron attacks it was ludicrous um with Torin thrown in there this is it's oh it's a pain it's hard to fully describe like just how tough this was well i mean you you dropped your invisible hand uh drop on top of my squads and and i i will fully admit that i got lucky in the dice rolls that you got with your with your vultures at the same time as soon as you were done I turned around and basically deleted all your squads off the board with between Hera and the X-Wings and Torrent. And I really felt like that was the moment that I was like, yes, this like Hera's great for helping the bombing runs. I agree. No question. But Hera and, and Torrent really step up the 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 anti-squad potential of X-Wings. No, there's an awful lot to say about Hera. I think also the fact that distance one to two, most X-Wings travel at distance three, so speed three, so you're going to very easily get everything in place without much effort. Um, it's a lot easier to deal with, you know, to organize than a Bigs ball, and you can even, you know, amplify it with that. So the new Hera is definitely extremely useful, and I think a lot better than what she was, um, especially for being able to um, organize everything in one big attack compared to like the previous um, incarnation. Honestly, Jamers, one of the biggest things was that you're not telegraphing that that Hera is going to go first every single time. That's a hundred percent correct. She is. It's just like, well, that's her effect. There she is. And um, life's so much easier for a rebel player using it. And um, gosh, who needs BCC anymore? I actually took BCC and stacked it until someone decided to blow it up with a stupid roll. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, Jammers. Why do you even need BCC anymore as a rebel player? You're not you're not flying B-wing swarms anymore. Man, these X-wings were so good. It didn't help either that I was testing out an invisible hand fleet, which, to be fair, was really good. I really liked the way it interacted, but... Oh my gosh, those X-Wings with Biggs and Hera, it's just, it's wall after and wall wedge. after wall. And Wedge, and, yeah. And Wedge, so the Wedge Yavaris roll when I rolled seven dice against something? You got, yeah, you got two accuracies and five hits. You remember that? I, I do remember I just that. wanted to quit. <laughs> you you, you one-shot <laughs> Grievous? It, that was gross. I didn't even, I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen, so... Yeah, Jambers, how would you feel about two two uh, two accuracies and five hits on on seven dice? 
I'd feel thoroughly aggrieved. That's uh, you know, that's, that's an awful lot of damage in one go. But um, that's very impressive. I think. Um, gosh, what was I going to say? It's definitely coming close to three a.m. I'm uh, what's it called? What's like? Uh, I'm losing my um, train of thought here. But um, n- um, yes, I do think that. Um, uh, that's how much damage is extremely useful, and also um, I do think that the gosh, no, I've completely lost my train of thought there. Sorry, chaps. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, so maybe we'll come back to that. But we do have our final segment of the of the night, and we very much appreciate you staying up late for us, Jammers. It's been really great to have you, and you've had some really great insights. So I'm, I'm I cannot wait to hear what you have to th- say about our do you think segment. So in the Do You Think segment, uh, we basically hit each other up for some hot takes from the current Armada community. And these hot takes are ones that we find in in the various channels on Discord and things that you people, that you guys say, uh, and we try and bring them on the podcast and discuss them um, as best we can. So Jammers, you're up first. And the, the, the statement that we have for you to react to, Jammers, is, quote, I have, I thought that squadless play was dead the moment that Plo Koon was released. Well, certainly one of the hottest takes. I do think that there's an element of truth in that. Trying to fight against a squad list, I think, in one of the earlier online tournaments when Plo came out was very, very difficult. That being, And I think that did contribute to a decline and why it was easy to take more generics and fewer uniques, because they weren't fighting squads, they were just there buying you time. I I think uh I think Plo makes squadless with non-redundant tokens just absolutely suicidal. I don't know why you would be flying no squads and one redirect right now, which I'm looking at you the the new factions. There's no reason why you should think that squadless is remotely acceptable unless you've got some kind of wild wackadoo plan uh i i agree with this like instigator like instigator hey that's a wackadoo plan that could work yeah absolutely flechette uh flechette wackadoodle uh instigator absolutely that could work yeah uh jammers make sure you tell uh that guy that we called him wackadoodle for uh, the next time you see him (laughs) for sure but uh oh sorry it's no uh, admiral plocoon because i uh initially thought you meant um Plo the fighter. No, yes, Plo Koon, uh, the uh, um, admiral. Uh, yes, no, he does make fly, fly, flying completely squadless, but I think he also makes flying with aces even more frustrating because, of course, you will uh, he will lock down that particular... If I recall correctly, his ability affects fighters too. So it's going to be frustrating. But nonetheless, uh, yes, you can just you can mitigate him to an extent with just throwing generics at him whilst your big ships take out the flag. So Plo as an admiral only affects when you're attacking ships, uh, but he does allow friendly squadrons with adept uh, without adept to gain grit when they're at distance one of something with adept. And believe it or not, that lost me a game uh, not in the not too recent past. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, he does have such a wide ranging a bit. Um... Uh, effect. It is quite something. But I don't see him that often, which is interesting. I think there's a reasonably high skill level. Uh, you also have to lean into a really big squad ball, and you usually have to lean into arcs. And that is a very specific archetype right now. 
Uh, so jammers, you've got a question for Fox to, to go off. Oh yeah. So, um, the question for Fox is I'm not seeing any role for the Raider to fit into where it isn't excelled by something with a similar cost. That's a really interesting observation because we just got done talking about instigator. Um, I, I personally don't like it being used as a flak boat, but clearly some people know things that I don't. Uh, I think I think it takes a a lot of skill to get it done, but I mean it's hard to argue with two blacks uh, coming at you with with callus even, or I don't think you take callus on it anymore. I think Iden is stuck to it, but it's hard to argue with that with double evade. Um, but instigator is huge. I mean, obviously people like the lifeboat. I mean, there, there's no other lifeboat in the game that really makes sense. Uh, really period, honestly, but as spe- specifically Corvus straight counters, a surprise attack. It, exactly. I've, and I enjoy Raiders as they, they are the ultimate, this piece, um, has like if if you ignore it you have under you have undervalued like as as if, as your opponent if you ignore it it's at your own peril if you focus on it it's at your own peril it is a piece that you will regret not paying attention to and it is also a piece that as if you have it in your fleet you can utilize to make it seem like it's a big threat i've done it against an ssd where I made uh, an SSD with Jurgerod turn just enough towards it to get my, the entire rest of my fleet around that front arc and ultimately win the game. And it's like, it's just a Raider versus an SSD. It wasn't going to do much, but I made you think it would. I think uh, it has a lot more fake out ability than people give it credit for. And it's a great support piece. So that's where I'm at with it. I, sure, like it doesn't have a specific role, but uh, yeah, I think it's. I, I think it can definitely do a lot. Um, okay, well, I've got my question for Kellorn. Here we go. It's a longer one. Um, Dice Ad Commanders are the only ones that actively contribute to the always active objective of every game of Armada: murder your opponent and thus should always be used unless you have some really overriding reason to not want to win. <laughs> I want to hear your response to that. So the, like, this is one of those things where it is, it's true and it's not true. Right. Like, uh, and so in effect, dice ad commanders are saying, I'm going to take most wanted, apply it to all your ships and I'm going to have it every, uh, on every shot just, or every, uh, on all of my ships. Uh, and there is value to that. Most wanted is a, is an objective that a lot of people don't like to take because that ex, that extra dice, particularly in a, against MSU fleets, can make a big make a big difference. The trap here is that Armada isn't about shooting. Armada is about navigating, and I really want to hear jammers thoughts on that but while he's like half asleep and just about ready to 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 uh call it a night here so this is our last thing guys well, no, uh, well before we go like thank you very much for having me on it's been great uh, but like um no when it comes to this i actually couldn't um 
disagree more. I genuinely think commanders like Bale or Thrawn or Jergerod, they all add so much because, uh, as you say, Colon, Navigate is one of the most important ones. And, you know, with Jergerod, that, you know, you don't even need to in certain instances or your, you know, your ISD can start doing things that no one ever thought it could. And I think it's better to be able to get out of a shot than be able to um, add more into your shot because you're going to survive longer and be able to shoot at somebody uh, more often. So yes, now I do think that like other commanders that um, don't add dice are in fact far more effective in this game. And we haven't even talked about Dooku, which we unfortunately don't have time for Fox to, to uh, wax poetic about his favorite commander in the game. But uh, no one wants to talk I do- about Dooku, no. <laughs> Uh, Jamers, I, w- I really want to thank you for staying up late for us. I think it was a fantastic episode. I think you had some great comments uh, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me on. And it's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, hopefully maybe even see you in um, the, uh, what's it called? Um, at at a Depticon. I may, I may make an appearance. We shall see. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the dump on that's like, it's, that one's a really tough for me to get to that particular weekend. Uh, but I, I really would love to go if I, if I, Oh, you're talking about Adepticon kind of worlds, right? Yes. Yes. Worlds. I'm absolutely going to go to if, as long as they have the last chance qualifier. Uh, and I think you're on the same page, right, Matt? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So we'll, he and I'll probably travel together. So, all right. Well, uh, everyone have a great night and we will catch you next week. Awesome. Have a good night guys. All the best. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Armada Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada Podcast. Join us on Discord with the link in the show notes. Until next time.